Securing federal facilities seems to be a never-ending challenge. What used to be a guard at a desk has morphed almost into an industry, in this case the physical access control systems. The General Services Administration approves the technologies and the vendors. The White House sets the parameters. They both need to do some more work. Joining me with more, Laurie Rectanis, Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Ms. Rectanis, good to have you back. Thank you so much, Tom. Pleased to be here. Now, in this case, uh, this is not where people put babies through metal detectors, as famously happened in years past, or GAO could secret bomb-making materials through uh, barriers in federal buildings. This is about how employees and contractors, regulars, are coming into the buildings. What, what did you look at here? looked at was whether or not the government was able to ensure that those, you know, millions of federal workers and contractors who enter the hundreds of thousands of federal buildings, are they who they say they are? And are they only gaining access to those places that they're supposed to? In 2004, there there was a presidential directive that essentially called for systems to be put into place to guarantee that. And what we found is we haven't made the progress that we probably should have made, um, given that it's been 14 years since that directive came out. Yeah, so one of the requirements of these systems was, as you mentioned, only people can only get where they're supposed to get so that, for example, if you work at GSA, you can get into GSA facilities, but you couldn't get into the Situation Room with the same card. Correct. The idea here is that this system is based on two fundamental pieces, sort of what we're calling a, a, it's called a PIV card, which is sort of an ID card on steroids, right? This ID card is a more advanced way to prove that you are who you say you are. There's got information embedded in a microchip that has critical information about your employment status, you know, maybe your security clearance, some biometrics. And that is supposed to talk to these physical access controls, whether it be a turnstile or a keypad reader or a biometric reader. And so anywhere you go, either to get into a building or to get into a controlled area, theoretically, those two things are supposed to talk to each other to make sure that you who you are have the right to be where you want to go. And such systems do exist. They do. Um, agencies over the past you know, 14 years or so have made efforts to buy the right systems and get their PIV cards, um, you know, what we're calling loosely sort of compliance systems. And in talking to various agencies in the General Services Administration and some contractors, there are agencies who have tried to become compliant, but it's a very small number, probably less than 10%. And one of your findings is that even though there is an approved vendor list and an approved acquisition technique promulgated by GSA, agencies don't seem to be buying into it or they don't understand it, somehow it's not getting fully utilized. That is actually why we were asked to look at this initially. The question is, are agencies buying from this list? And and it, what we found is that's a little bit of a, a misnomer. Um, the list, I would call it sort of similar to sort of a consumer products best buy list, right? These are equipment and software and IT that the General Services Administration says meet these requirements. But the list itself is not what you buy from. The list is more of a recommended um, listing of uh, vendors. So an agency still would have to go to either the GSA supply schedules uh, to, to purchase equipment, or they could purchase it on their own. Um, and so when we talked to various agencies and what they were doing, there was a lot of confusion about not only what the requirements were, but well, where do I go to buy this? Should I go to the GSA schedules or if I do it on my own, what is the right language I should put into my procurement request? And so 
we did not we heard that people were trying to look at the APL before they bought things, but there's there still seems to be a lot of independence, a lot of flexibility and a lot of confusion about when I actually go to buy these things, how do I make sure that these folks are compliant? And does the situation get worse as we get beyond DC and into the hinterlands? That's not something we looked at, but certainly when we spoke with agencies, uh, a lot of their focus was on their headquarters buildings, of course because those are here in D.C., and those are ones that a lot of people pay attention to. Um, but we did find that in many instances, um, you know, even EPA or Coast Guard, some of those facility uh, agencies we spoke to, um, they did focus on their um, headquarters buildings, but even some of their headquarters buildings have not been made compliant yet. We're speaking with Lori Rectanus, Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And so if buildings are not using standards, does that mean that they are less secure than they should be? If you believe in this vision that says, you know, the way that we're going to make sure that these employees are who they say they are and they only get access to where they're supposed to, and that's supposed to happen by these cards, talking to these readers, not just within your facility, but within your agency and potentially across government. If you believe that that's the way that we keep our facilities secure, that's not happening. So yes, we do run the risk of either nefarious actors pretending to be government employees and contractors and getting in the buildings, or even employees themselves who may be disgruntled or or contractors who may be getting in inappropriately and getting access to places that they shouldn't. Also, the report mentions the Interagency Security Committee chaired by Homeland Security, and there's 50 or 60 federal departments and agencies. How well does that work interact with the work GSA is doing? Because it seems like maybe there's a gap there. The General Services Administration has a number of roles here. They certainly provide guidance. They can help um, an agency draft, as I said, procurement language. You know, they've done the APL, which we've talked about. They actually are a landlord as well, so they procure this equipment. But they are more um, about providing guidance. They're not necessarily a group that can develop solutions and work with the agencies to come up with answers to their challenges. The the beauty of the ISC, it, it is the agencies themselves, as you have said. It's over 50 agencies. They work together in a peer group. And the ISC is really directed to provide um, information sharing opportunities, to provide guidance and some criteria, if you will, for this is how we need to do it. And that's why we thought the ISC was in a perfect position to address some of these challenges the agencies told us about to say, all right, where should we buy this stuff? What is this stuff? How do we find money? How do we convince our managers that it's worthwhile to do this? And ISC has a little bit more... um, rule of law, if you will, sort of a a greater hand when it comes to moving agencies forward than GSA does. Now, the Defense Department, which is outside of this study and outside of what GAO and what what GSA and this interagency committee look at, nevertheless has very well-developed control systems for access by its own personnel. Any lessons learned that can apply from DOD? And do they have products and services that could be incorporated into this complex? You are correct. We did not look at the defense facilities as a part of this review because we have other work. But I do think the Department of Defense is further ahead than the civilian organizations. They have a they have their version of the PIV card that I think is used pretty widely to govern access to different facilities in different locations. Um, I don't know about their procurement of of uh, equipment, but I'm sure that there are a lot of lessons that we can learn, especially from some of their more secure facilities where, you know, by by necessity they've had to really uh, 
protect access to them. In this case, your recommendations were not so much for GSA or the committee, but for the Office of Management and Budget. Yes. One of the the big things we found is agencies have not made a lot of progress, primarily because no one's been asking questions about what are you doing, what are you buying, um, what efforts are you making. Um, We don't even really have government-wide information to know who's buying what and are we compliant. And as I said, we have some anecdotal information about the lack of progress, but we really don't know where agencies are and what progress has been made. And OMB is the one that needs to do that. Under the directive, um, they have key responsibility for overseeing and enforcing this process. They are the ultimate arbiter of people's budgets. So we did recommend that they get some information on the baseline. What is going on? um, What are people buying? And is it working, quite honestly? And are we achieving the vision that, that we want to achieve? Lori Rectanis is Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. As always, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Tom. A pleasure speaking with you. We'll post a link to her report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive at iTunes or Podcast One. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision.